Welcome to Holistic Accountant Podcast, where we aim to showcase how adopting a holistic approach in accounting and tax maximizes value for clients. Beyond traditional tasks like preparing financial statements and tax returns, a holistic accountant focuses on offering advice that maximizes personal wealth on an after-tax basis. If you enjoy this episode, please consider leaving a rating and sharing it with those who might also benefit. And to ensure you stay updated, subscribe to our weekly email. The link is in the show notes. Okay, today man and I want to talk about how to either receive or leave an inheritance and minimize any tax. Now, Australia doesn't have inheritance tax like other countries do, and other countries' inheritance tax can be quite onerous, in fact, can be very expensive, which means that people really plan around inheritances. Now, because Australia doesn't have any inheritance tax yet, and I say yet because I think it would be relatively attractive, particularly as that baby boomer generation gets into that sort of inheritance window, it'd be attractive for the government to introduce something along those lines. But because we don't have an inheritance tax, quite often people don't really think about it. And whilst it doesn't really impact you personally, it obviously will impact your beneficiaries in terms of how much tax they pay. But also there's a, a big inheritance tsunami coming our way over the next 20 years again, I guess again because of these baby boomers getting older. And so if you are going to receive an inheritance, then it's really important to think about how you receive that inheritance and how you can hang on to as much of that hard-earned money as possible and giving less to the government, of course. So, I mean, let's talk about the different assets and how they kind of behave in a sort of inheritance situation, uh, both from the perspective of receiving the inheritance or leaving one. So the main residence is probably the most attractive one, just because when you receive deceased's main residence, it's actually tax-free. You inherit the principal place of residence exemption, but only for a period of two years. So they give you two years, or the ATO gives you two years, to sell the property and have no CGT consequences. So in terms of an inheritance, it provides basically zero tax and it's a great asset because typically like you said the baby boomers would have experienced a sort of healthy uplift in the capital growth of the asset so it provides you with a great windfall gain. Yeah so holding wealth in your primary place of residence or if you are the beneficiary of an estate that where most of the wealth is in the primary place of residence is is a really good thing because obviously there's no tax. If you don't sell it within two years then the cost base becomes the market value of the property at date of death so it's possible to still retain the asset and you're only going to pay capital gains tax on the uplift in value so you still get the benefit of that main resident exemption to some extent but holding wealth inside your primary place of residence at least at this stage really tax effective another one to consider is if you inheriting assets that are pre-cgt which means that they were purchased before september 1985 and this does happen particularly with older estates we see this occur in that situation if you inherit assets that are pre-CGT, essentially the cost base becomes the market value as at date of death. So at least you still inherit those assets that they're not going to attract any capital gains tax, but any change in value between the date of death and when you eventually sell those assets, uh, of course, will attract uh, capital gains tax. But the planning opportunity here again is if you are a beneficiary of an estate that 
includes pre-CGT assets. If I was in your shoes, you'd be keen to preserve those assets as much as possible. So if they're going to sell any investments, sell the post-CGT investments rather than the pre-ones and leave the pre-CGT assets into the estate, although that might be a bit of a selfish viewpoint, of course. Super benefits is something else to consider. Now, the tax element is usually subject to a maximum tax rate of 17%. Um, the untaxed element is subject to a maximum tax rate of 32%. So what you could do as part of an estate planning measure is a recontribution strategy where is basically you take out the untaxed component in the form of a pension from your super fund and recontribute it back into your super fund to make it a taxed component. And that way it reduces the amount of tax when it comes to flow to your dependents. The other thing to consider with superannuation is that if you leave a benefit to a financial dependent or an interdependent relationship, that benefit is tax-free. So again, in structuring an estate, that might be something you need to consider. So for example, if you had a special needs beneficiary, then potentially you could leave most of the super to that beneficiary and then the rest of the estate to any alternate beneficiaries. That way you're going to minimise any tax that might be payable on super. So it's really just something to think about those super balances, who you're leaving it to and what sort of tax and untaxed portions are there. Another really good thing is using what's called a testamentary trust. And whilst it is a little bit more detailed, give you a very brief description of it. Essentially, a testamentary trust is like a discretionary family trust. It is only created upon death. So it doesn't exist. It's just in the will. It doesn't exist until the will maker passes away. And what you can then do is allow the executor to create that testamentary trust or multiple testamentary trusts and move the estate's assets inside that trust. There's a few benefits of doing that. Asset protection can be one of them, uh, particularly if there's some family law matters or any sort of creditor issues that that might be of a concern to those beneficiaries. You've got some at-risk beneficiaries. The other major benefit is that you can distribute from a testamentary trust to minors and they're taxed at adult rates. So in summary, that means that if you had a reasonable estate, all that estate could go into the testamentary trust. If you then had grandchildren, or at least at that time you had grandchildren, that are all minors, of course, you could distribute 20 odd thousand dollars a year in terms of income or capital gains to those minors and not pay any tax on that income. So there's some really attractive tax planning benefits, some attractive estate planning benefits. And typically, I would say, depending on the value of the estate and the structure of the estate, a testamentary trust is certainly worth considering. And the other component to consider is your business, how it's currently structured and if there's any opportunities to restructure it to maximise the value of it after you pass. Things to consider like your small business CGT concessions or your small business rollover concessions. Items such as whether it's feasible to sell your shares, for example, if they're individually held or if they're held in a trust to yourself, for example so that they can be transferred into the testamentary trust after you pass. Now, that might trigger a capital gains event, and if you're eligible for it, you could be eligible for the small business CGT concessions. All these concessions will allow you to maximise or minimise, I should say, the tax that you pay when you pass, so your beneficiaries can utilise as much after-tax funds after you move on. 
If you have entities, so companies or trusts that hold investments or operating businesses or anything like that, with trusts, it's really about handing over control of that trust in your will. So you would just nominate an alternative appointer for that trust, but there's no sort of taxation considerations to think about there because that trust can continue to live or exist beyond uh, your date of death. If you have companies and you want to think about who owns the shares in those companies, hopefully they're owned by a family trust or similar. So again, if that's the case, there's nothing you really need to do there other than nominate an alternative director for that company. And if you have jointly held assets, which is common for family homes and so forth, what happens if you have your own property jointly? The ownership reverts to the remaining joint tenants automatically. So it doesn't actually hit the estate. So if you've got mum and dad own their home and dad passes away, essentially mum is the remaining joint tenant on title and therefore owns 100%, doesn't go into dad's estate or anything like that. That can be useful from a asset protection perspective. So if you feel like that your estate might get challenged for whatever reason, then keeping assets outside of your estate as much as possible. So having entities that hold investments and owning any property jointly can minimise any challenges on the estate because essentially the estate doesn't have too much in the way of assets to challenge. So that's not a tax matter per se, but again, when putting an estate plan together, taxation is a big consideration, but there's a lot of other things to think about which your holistic accountant should be able to, them and a financial planner and maybe a lawyer altogether can steer you in the right direction. Okay, that's it for us for this week. Until next week, bye for now.